0: And welcome to the five things it's this week in social. We are bringing you the latest and greatest from the social platforms to keep you in the loop and smiling on the right side of the bus. Amanda Davis is here. Hello, Amanda. Hi, Joey. And Tommy Boyce is here. Hi, Tommy.
1: Hi, Joey. I listen to solar power a reasonable 76 times.
0: (laughs) We're going to get into that and more later. Don't tease it out now. All right, uh, I am Joey Scarillo. Let's dive into the five things. All right, first up, Tommy has a big story. Uh, Jack Dorsey uh, has resigned as Twitter CEO. Amanda will talk about streamer Ludwig leaving Twitch to join YouTube Gaming exclusively. Then Amanda's gonna talk to us about TikTok, who announced a new tool called Creator Next. Then Tommy will get into Twitter, who reportedly launched reply downvotes to a wider audience, And finally, Amanda breaks down the Spotify end-of-year recap, tells us about new features, and we will talk about our top songs, genres, and artists. All right, let's start with the farewells. Uh, Tommy, talk to us about Jack Dorsey.
1: Yeah, so Jack has officially flown the coop. Twitter CEO, founder, and CEO Jack Dorsey stepped down from his position on Monday, effective immediately. He's being replaced by the app's CTO, Garag Agarwal. I don't know about y'all, but I was very surprised by this move. It seemed to have come sort of out of nowhere. I mean, I just saw he randomly tweeted, I love Twitter on Sunday night and Monday announced his resignation. It seemed to come after Twitter was gaining a lot of momentum with stuff like Twitter Blue, audio spaces, their embrace of e-commerce. And it comes after he fought an almost succession-like battle against Elliott Management, a major activist investor, and won. And I'm honestly pretty sad to see Jack go as far as the tech moguls and CEOs go. He was my favorite, and he made a really just incredible impact on the social space. Part of me wonders if he left Twitter to focus on Square, the other company CEO of Currently, but he's also become increasingly interested in Bitcoin and Web3. So maybe his new project will be centered around the future of a decentralized Internet. Who's to say? I'm sure whatever he does, will certainly talk about it and see the impacts of it. Regardless, Twitter is still around and has a new CEO, Parag. Now, Parag's interesting. He was formerly Twitter's CTO and was working on integrating crypto and NFT technology, with the platform. So I think Twitter has a bright future in that sort of space. And it's exciting to see that many people saw Parag as Jack's heir apparent. So I'm excited to see Twitter continue with its innovation in terms of entering the next phase of the internet, Web3, as you would. But for now, all I can say is happy trails, Jack.
0: So Tommy, as a self-proclaimed power user, uh, what are you most excited about? And what are you most nervous about with this change?
1: Ooh, I'm a power user. Um, I'm most excited about, I said before, Parag continuing to integrate the technology that Twitter was looking to use for NFT, crypto. Um, and I'm excited to see how they... Because they've talked about... There's a whole program, Blue Sky, which I haven't really talked about on the pod because it's still very amorphous, what it actually is. But it's trying to bring decentralized Web3 principles to Twitter as a platform. And I'm excited to see how Twitter makes these changes and continues to be hopefully a spot where creators can make culture, can cultivate their brand, and as, as a place where brands can come and interact with users. Cause I don't think there's a better spot to be one-on-one on the internet than Twitter. And I hope that they continue to go down that line. I am worried though that, I mean, we talked about like the succession like battle that Jack maybe lost. I'm not sure, we don't know the details of his resignation, but i hope that twitter continues to stay on the path of breaking new ground as opposed to like adopting technologies from other platforms as a way to make short term goals of audience bases and engagement i think that's a kind of like a false uh it's like a golden calf if you will it's something that seems shiny but doesn't actually cultivate the platform make it what it it doesn't reach the platform's full potential so hopefully they stick down the path of innovation in the future because I think it's been doing a pretty good job of that in the the near past.
0: Yeah. You mentioned, um, Jack, potentially uh, going back to, to Square. And just as a quick plug, we had the other co-founder of Square, Jim McKelvey, on our other podcast, Gray Matter, earlier this year. So check that out in your podcast feed. Um, Amanda, Speaking of people leaving, let's talk about Ludwig leaving Twitch. What is going on there?
2: All right, this is pretty big news. So, Ludwig, who you may remember from his um, month long subathon where he streamed for a month on Twitch, um, has announced that he is moving over to exclusively stream on YouTube gaming. So we've talked a couple of weeks around how these platforms are kind of like vying for creators' attention and to, to bring them in to make content on natively on the platform. Um, so this is a really big deal. I think Ludwig had around 3 million followers on Twitch. He, he did have a bit of a following on YouTube Gaming, but primarily was streaming on Twitch day-to-day. Um, so he's leaving behind his 3 million followers on Twitch after again this very successful subathon which saw the most um subscribers that any twitch stream had ever seen before and what's interesting is he also created a video around why he moved over to youtube and you know it's easy to think about you know metrics and algorithm and how much money can i make here or there but he really had an honest conversation and you know in summary it's worth watching but in summary he really was saying that it has to do with the way that YouTube built a relationship with him that he did not get from Twitch. So again, after doing one of the most successful, if not the most successful, um, live streams in that month long subathon, he's, he was very candid and he said that Twitch didn't reach out to him. Um, didn't say like, this is interesting or let's work together and he appreciated the culture at twitch and and liked it um he just didn't feel like he was necessarily it was a two-way relationship is almost his exact words he felt like i was at twitch but youtube really wanted to start a two-way relationship with me and figure out what we can do together um so i thought that was really interesting and he's not the first um some other people that have moved from twitch to youtube dr lupo tim the tap man courage Valkyrie, like These are all really big names in streaming and for them to move from Twitch, which of course we know as like the original streaming platform for gaming over to YouTube is, is a very big deal.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, it, it just proves once again, that relationships matter and especially in, in life and in business. Um, it's very, it's very important how you treat people.
2: And also another thing he mentioned in his video that I thought was really interesting and might be unexpected to some people is because of his relationship with youtube that he is building and the way that the content would work and how he would um you know negotiate with them on on what his um account looks like he did credit that also to being able to balance his what we would call work life balance so, you know it's easy to think of that when you're either going into an office or clocking into a job every day what that means but for streamers it's really hard to draw the line between what is time for me and what is time for my job and how do i make sure that i can focus on things that make me happy. Not only is it interesting to think about the relationships between the platforms and the streamers, but also the, you know, mental health and well-being of these streamers and these content creators. And, and as that evolves and these become more common and, and more talked about topics, I, I liked that he mentioned that and kind of set that precedence for other content creators and streamers to be able to draw a line and a boundary of, of um, their time.
0: Yeah, that's really great. Um, I just, you know, do you think that with the exclusivity that the numbers will stay relatively close to the way they were on Twitch? Or do you think you'll see a drop in numbers?
2: I think they'll absolutely stay the same, if not grow. I mean, the platform's functionality for viewers is so similar. Um, And these people are not finding Ludwig or any of these people via like a homepage or something that they're discovering on the platform. Really, like these personalities are so large that, you just have to tell the fans where to go and they'll they'll watch it and they'll interact. Um, I I don't think it will have a negative impact at all.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. So let's talk a little bit about TikTok who announced uh, Creator Next and video GIFs. Um, Amanda, what's the story there?
2: All right. So some more TikTok updates. They've announced that they're rolling out what they're calling Creator Next, which is essentially a a hub for all of the monetization tools available to creators. Um, and it also outlined some, some updates in that hub too. And uh, I'll stop there for a second, because again, when you think about creators and you think about this, this job that now exists, that they need to learn how to do and how to monetize their, you know, in social media and especially in a platform that previously didn't have a, a very clear monetization strategy, like that alone, giving that tool and resource kit to a creator to learn how to monetize their content is really huge and a great offering for the platform to provide to its creators um and then i will say in a lot of the creator tools they expanded the tipping feature which we talked about a few weeks ago um they now allow viewers to give um gifts during live videos and also during regular videos on the platform so tipping and and gifts which is essentially tipping through through the um in platform currency diamonds um so again There's a lot of small changes that are happening. They're aggregating these tools all together, and they're really giving creators a chance to own their monetization on the platform, arguably a little bit more than the other platforms as well as, for instance, tips, uh, 100% of the tips goes to the creator. That's again, the only platform I think that does that and doesn't take a cut of it. So yeah, TikTok is is putting all their money on its creators and, and making it a little bit easier for them to monetize
1: their content.
0: Yeah, I think it's great. Tommy, um, do you think these retention strategies with TikTok are enough to keep creators coming back?
1: I do think so. I think, I mean, it's interesting pairing these uh, last two stories together where it's just, I think, of, I think of YouTube in 2015 as a site that really emphasized its creators. You think of like the YouTube Rewind in its original form. You think of how it really just made a space for people to make content and make a career off it. There are things like VidCon. It just really had... An environment that supported creatives and now tiktok not only has that environment and the algorithm to support creators and have them find their audiences but now there's so many options to find money there's tips there's tipping inside and outside live streams so i think tiktok is a spot to be in terms of visibility it's so much easier to get your content out there because of the all-knowing and all-powerful algorithm and now with the extra added monetization tools you're seeing people Trust TikTok. And again, it's that two way relationship. TikTok is giving the tools to have users create a relationship with them. It gives them a reason to stay on the platform as opposed to going to, you know, a YouTube shorts or a reels. So I think they're really trying to kind of hunker down and keep their creators close and give them the tools that so they don't, you know, kind of get shifty eyes and start looking at other platforms to jump on and make a career on them instead of TikTok. So I think these tools be very helpful for both the creators, obviously, so they can, you know, get their bag and also for TikTok as a platform.
0: Yeah, got to get that money. So let's talk again about Twitter, um, who reportedly launched reply downvotes to a much wider audience. Tommy, give us the give us the 411 on that.
1: Yeah, from TikTok to Twitter, which is pretty much all I use my phone for now. So Twitter has expanded its new upvote and downvote options, all about Reddit, where users upvote replies underneath tweets to the general Twitter public. Now the downvote is not a dislike option, rather it's supposed to be used to indicate how relevant or valuable a reply to a tweet is to the overall user experience. The upvotes and downvotes won't be made public so a, a cringe reply won't get you dinged. It's just being used as a way for Twitter to research what tweets are most engaging and fostering a discussion. Now I think that this feature is really exciting actually so many times you see a viral tweet and you click to see the replies and join the conversation. And instead of actual content, you're barraged by, you know, scam tweets and fan cams of cousin Greg and Tom set to Mitski songs. That's an actual thing I saw this morning. So this hopefully will make replies a much more hospitable place for brands to come and play in. Think of how you see random brands in the comments of, you know, viral TikToks. It's because... The comment system allows for easy interaction, pretty much free of scams and clutter. So this change could be a great way for brands and marketers to insert themselves into conversations more naturally and have a greater visibility in their replies that are now free of, you know, scams and fan cams, title episode. Um, Now, I think brands will have to be probably careful and really work and craft the replies they make because I can easily see users turning the downvote button on them. But that's something we'll have to figure out in the growing planes of this feature. And I'm excited to see what hopefully a more streamlined, exciting and engaging reply thread is now on Twitter.
0: Yeah, maybe I'll get some downvotes on some of my uh, lame punny tweets. That It's funny you jumped to brands, Tommy, because I was going to ask you, Amanda, um, what do you think this means for brands on the platform? Does it mean maybe be a little bit more careful? What uh, What's your take?
2: Yeah, I think this also, it's, it's a good thing. And I think to Tommy's point, it gives brands another way to interact with the audience that feels native to how people on the platform are already, you know, having a conversation. So I think when we think about the way that, for instance, brands write tweets, it goes through a series of creative development, we like look through it and review it. And there's layers to it that sometimes take a little bit of time. Um, And having a A place like the reply section or again, like a reply section that allows more engaging content to kind of rise to the top, gives brands a new place to be more reactive and relevant and experimental and casual um, with the way that they talk to people. So I think this is a really smart move for Twitter.
0: Yeah, I think it'll be really interesting. Can't wait to see how it goes. Okay. Well, now we can move on to one of the few traditions that we have here uh, on the five things where we talk about the Spotify end of year recap. But um, there's some things Amanda's going to break down for us, some new things and some new features. So why don't you talk to us about that?
2: All right. It's that time of the year. Spotify wrapped, brilliant campaign, beautifully designed, has launched yesterday. As of this podcast, very recently, in the last couple of days, and I'm mentioning that specifically because it has absolutely taken over everybody's social media feeds, it's already something that people are screenshotting, posting to their Instagram, making memes about, uh, tying it back to other conversations happening um, on the apps, it very much is taking over all social channels, even beyond um, Spotify. So, of course, we know this as everyone's um, unique recap of what they're listening to, their favorite artists and songs and genres. There's a couple of things that, as this has continued over the last few years, have really grown to be valuable to the audience um, and has really earned a place in in kind of cultural conversation. I think one of them is the music genres that Spotify, you know, classifies listening into at first um, when they started to create these subgenres of, of music, you know, combining different genres together to, to name them something interesting. It was kind of like this funny approach to music, but people are taking it a lot more seriously. I think in the last two or three years, especially because it, it truly is a peek into music trends and how music is evolving and how listening is evolving. Um, so similar to, some of our most uh, like personal data, like listen, what we listen to on our own at home is some of the most like telling information and telling um, trends that we can find. So understanding more about music genres, how people are listening and how people are sharing that music is really interesting. Um, this year, they also added something called Spotify Aura, which uh, they worked with an aura reader named Mystic Michaela to provide not only a recap of the actual songs that users were listening to, but also... Uh, a read of their aura and what the music means for them. And I I found this edition pretty interesting because obviously this campaign is always so data-driven and and again, such a peek into insights and trends around music. Um, But they really made a decision this year to tap into another trend around, you know, um, mysticism. I would say (laughs) we see the growing trend uh, with astrology and, and, um, other beliefs around that. And I think for them to tap into this from a cultural lens is really smart and it gives another way in for us to understand data that might feel like it's being translated into something that we can understand a little bit more. And then the last thing I'll mention is how every year Spotify really creates this content that's made for sharing and made for platforms and made for people to send to others and to post to their own stories. Like that social first approach to designing um, this content is what's making it viral, I hate to say the V word, but it's what's making it kind of spread across the internet and it's very smart and it's very much something that brands should continue to understand how they can create content that, that might have the same effect.
0: Yeah, I mean, we we love the Spotify rap. Quickly just looked at the Spotify Wrapped for our podcast and they let us know that we have listeners in Qatar which is uh, really interesting. So we've got listeners all around the world. So we just want to say thank you and shout out to them. Also, our followers were up 55% over last year. So again, thank you to our followers around the globe. Um, Now let's talk about our Spotify rat. Um, Tommy, what jumped out to you? What was surprising? What was amazing?
1: Um, What jumped out to me was that I had... Bruce Springsteen and bleachers in my top artists, which means I'm just spending too much time in New Jersey. Apparently. Yeah. I love Spotify wrapped. It's the gay Christmas. It's seeing, you know, which girlies people listen to. I love seeing which my friends are secretly Swifties shout out Juliana, uh, formerly of the podcast. And I, it's amazing to me how not only it, it, it takes over every platform. It takes over Instagram because that's where, you know, you post the stories. It takes over Twitter because it's all we talk about. And it truly is culture for the next 48 hours. There's so few campaigns that totally encompass pop culture like Spotify raps. And I think it's telling too, like Amanda, while you said, it's just music is so personal to us. And it's so much of who we are and our identity that tapping into that, it people want to talk about it and want to see what their friends are listening to. I'm surprised Spotify hasn't adapted more social media-like features in the past, because I think it could really make kind of a move with that capability if they try to encourage, you know, interactivity or seeing. Because I will stalk my friends uh, listening and text and be like, oh, you're listening to Mitski? How are you doing? You're listening to, I mentioned Mitski a lot today. You're, you're listening to Britney Spears? Like, taste. Um, but I love Spotify wrapped. I think everyone should stream um, like I used to. I share my head and Angel Olsen. Uh, thank you, Amanda, for the thumbs up. One of my top songs of the year. I think the best song in the year. And I want to hear what y'all's are.
0: Yeah, I mean, what I love about the Spotify Wrapped is that it is it is so personal, right? And and there's also a sense of like, am I going to share this? Do I want to tell people this? Um, for me, one big surprise sort of was that uh, my number one genre was Broadway, uh, which I was not expecting. Um, but, you know, in a year when uh, we were inside for most of it, um, you know, Broadway was, was comfort. But also indie rock, alternative hip hop, jam band and ska you know it's like we we go back and forth um amanda any any uh surprises for you
2: i think what was surprising for me is to tommy's point i i loved seeing what my friends um were posting and what they were listening to i saw trends and maybe this is a new york thing what i thought was very interesting was that a lot of people were listening to very emotionally charged music um and my top songs were actually quite happy and upbeat and very fun. And that could still be linked in that the way that we all use music is very different, especially when we're spending so much time alone. I think a lot of people were, you know, you're the kind of person maybe that if you want to be on your own and listen to sad music, that's great. If you want to be on your own and try to like hype yourself up and get in a good mood, those are all again, very intimate ways that We don't really think about how we listen to music as much as what we listen to. But I think all of these Spotify raps are also peaks into the way that we all have a different personal connection with the music that we listen to and and its role in our life.
1: So I know that's very deep. but I also love how you mentioned, Amanda, earlier, Spotify kind of inventing new genres or talking about new genres, because one of my top genres was bubble grunge, which I didn't know what that meant at first, but I realized it's groups like I'm not sure if our audience knows, but like, you know, like a Charlie Bliss or a Beach Bunny, the Bats, uh, really guitar driven, female led, like kind of poppy punk. And that was the moment where I was like, oh, that's what I call that music I listen to all the time. Because I refer to it as like either like power pop or kind of pop punk. So Spotify kind of taught me how to describe the music I like, which is a really interesting way that it kind of engaged with its users. There's also one, number five was Metropopolis which is kind of synth pop, like, you know, like a Muna or uh, like a Shura that was kind of like very Think of like driving down the city, listening to like a a blinding light song, very synthy. So I love how it's just really engaging in the culture of music that users listen to and kind of teaching us how to describe music we listen to.
0: I'm glad you mentioned blinding lights because that was my number two song. Um, But speaking of my favorite songs is really interesting. So uh, in my top five, I had number three and four were uh, from a band called Krungabin, who was my top band. I'm probably butchering the name, but like very instrumental, very low-key, lo-fi. Like I listened to a lot of instrumental this year. Uh, of course, number five was Cardi B, right? But what's so weird, this this, this freaked me out. My number one song, I feel like I've never heard. It's an inst- I listened to it last night. It's an instrumental song called French Inhale, and I have no recollection of ever hearing the song it's probably on a playlist that i just listened to on repeat but i have no memories associated to this song it, it's beyond me i have no idea how this became my number one song <laughs> Do you guys have anything like that any like weird things on your list
2: i found it interesting because my number one artist is an artist that when i recommend them to other people i say I don't like all their music, but they have some some bangers is the way that I would describe the way I listen to this band. Um, but I was in their top 005 percent of listeners. And that is the band Haim. Um, and they're great. Again, I like them. They have some bangers. I did not realize the hold that they had on me through the year, Joey. And that's maybe perhaps the same with your song is that it may be a short little blip in some of your playlists. But It was doing a lot more, um, it was much more impactful than you may have thought.
0: Yeah, yeah, very uh, subconscious. And then, you know, some not surprises and very predictable. Like I had Dave Matthews Band, The Killers, Jimmy World, you know, I had a very emo year.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I was not surprised to see um, just solar power all over my top five, all over. Like I've listened to Lord. I forget how much, but I'm the 0.05% of listeners for her. Uh, which distracts uh, a lot of indie rock too. But it's funny. There are also some songs. like I didn't realize I listened to uh, Chinatown by Bleachers and Bruce Springsteen. It's a crossover with my top artists so much. That song came out in 2020, but I guess it has staying power. Good for for Jack and Bruce.
0: Did uh, either of you get any top podcasts on yours? I did not because I don't listen to podcasts on Spotify. Um, But what were yours?
2: So... I will hearken us back to probably this time in 2020, where I had to embarrassingly announce that my top podcast was the five things podcast. (laughs) Um, and I have big news this year. My top podcast is the five things podcast. Wow. So I, that one's kept its spot, but I did start listening to more podcasts on Spotify. I used to use the Apple music platform. Um, so the rest of my podcasts were filled out with video game podcasts which is what i spend the rest of my podcast listening attention span on
0: so we know that amanda likes the sound of her own voice
1: (laughs) i amanda you are not alone um the number one podcast on spotify for me was also five things i do have a god complex i like to listen to myself um but my defense i listen to a podcast on apple for some reason i listen to five things on spotify because i want to make sure that what i say makes sense so i can kind of like you know, just check in on myself, be like, how did I do last week? Did I did I say things? Were there five things? Um, but yes, I it is very funny being like, oh,
0: your number one podcast is yourself. Well, it's always good to check yourself, you know, before you, quote unquote, wreck yourself. Um, well, friends, I think that is our wrapped for this episode. Um, we want to thank you. And speaking of Spotify, if you don't already follow us there, Follow us on Apple. We hope to be in your top podcasts. Um, If you have questions, comments, concerns, points of interest, or complaints, feel free to send those over to at gray.com. Feel free to screen grab your favorite podcast if we were in your top five. I want to thank Amanda and Tommy for joining us on the show, as always. And thank you to Danielle and Guy behind the scenes. I am Joey. Thank you. We'll see you next time. And in the meantime be social. The Five Things are produced by Joey Scarrillo and Danielle Hunt. Mixed at Gramercy Park Studios by Guy Rosemarin, with support from Post producer Ned Martin. Additional support by John Jenkinson and Christina Hyde. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com.